I'm sorry. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. I just got a text. Um, the phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-973-7425. A buddy of mine just texted me and said, maybe someone should. So Congressman Van Teller is talking about the last, uh, com- before the last commercial break, he had an affair with the first lady of ISIS, Republican from uh, outside of Dallas, had an affair with a woman some call the first lady of ISIS. She actually was, was the wife of a, one of the senior commanders. Buddy of mine just texted me and said, someone should have told the congressman that's not what it's called the missionary position. <laughs> Trying to introduce her to Jesus. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. I gotta I gotta I gotta move on. Um, I, I, you know what, I, I want to we've spent so much time on the State of the Union and politics and Ukraine, and I was profoundly, profoundly moved by an article yesterday. And, um, I just, I, I want to talk to y'all about this. I, I, this is, you know, I try to be relatable with you guys. Uh, Jonathan Jarks, T-J-A-R-K-S. He's a freelance writer, works with the Dallas Morning News, the Austin American Statesman. He's worked uh, with Talking Points Memos, a a left-wing political site. Uh, And he's now a staff writer with The Ringer. Sports writer, primarily. And I gotta I wanna read you part of what he wrote. Waiting for a PET scan is pretty boring. The nurse brings you down a long hallway with a bunch of rooms on either side. Each is just big enough to fit a chair and a sink. They all look the same except for the picture on the wall. I've seen a pond, a lake, some mountains. You walk into the room, sit down, and get injected with dye. Then you have to wait an hour for it to go through your bloodstream. There's absolutely nothing to do. The doctors want as little brain activity as possible in order to get a better scan. You put your phone in a locker. There's no TV. You can't bring anything to read. If you're lucky, you get some sleep. Otherwise, you're left alone with your thoughts. I got scanned for the first time last April. That's when I found out I had cancer. I'd been in and out of the hospital for two months. The doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong because what I had, a Ewing's-like sarcoma with a B-core CCNB3 rearrangement, is so rare. Sarcomas are small tumors found in the bones and connective tissues of the body. They represent about 1% of new cancer cases in the U.S. each year among adults, and B-core is an even tinier part of that 1%. The odds of me getting it were about 25 million to 1. My wife and I ran into a doctor who is friends with her parents. He asked what it was like to get struck by lightning. Sarcomas are one of the deadliest kinds of cancers. The five-year survival rates for adults with metastatic Ewing sarcomas is between 15 and 30%. Metastatic because the tumors have already spread through the body by the time they're diagnosed. There are too many for the doctors to count on my first scan. Cancer is much easier to treat when it hasn't spread beyond the primary tumor. You can get chemotherapy and radiation and remove whatever's left with surgery. That's not an option for me. 
The doctors don't even know which tumor was my primary tumor. They will never be able to say that I'm cancer-free because there could always be tiny sarcomas lurking somewhere in my body that the scans miss. That's what happened after my first chemo regimen, which lasted six months. All the tumors were gone at the end. There were only a few potential spots they would check on my next scan, but when I came back in two months, a series of new ones had popped up. There are two main problems. The first is that chemo has to kill every single cancer cell in your body. Leave even one behind and that one can turn into a million. The second is that the cells that survive chemotherapy become more resistant to chemotherapy. You can't use the same type of treatment again and expect the same result. So you have to try a different kind each time they return. One of my doctors compared it to trench warfare in World War I. You build multiple lines of defense so you can keep falling back when the first one gets overrun. You just eventually run out of lines. Being diagnosed with terminal cancer doesn't happen like it does in the movies. The doctors don't actually tell you how long you have to live. They can't predict the future. What they say is what you have will kill you at some point. We just don't know when. Could be months, could be years, could be longer. The only real hope they can offer is that someone might find a cure before it's too late. All they can do for now is keep me alive as long as they can. This means a lot of chemo and a lot of scans. My current schedule is chemo every three weeks and scans every nine weeks. The whole process of getting scanned takes about an hour and a half, one hour to sit in the tiny waiting room, another half hour for the actual scan. Like I said before, it leaves you with a lot of time to think. I usually end up thinking about my son. He has a son named Jackson. He was born in March of 2020. He's almost two. And he goes on to talk about his life and what it's like. Now, obviously, you, you can, as you can imagine, this kind of resonates, the story with me. But he makes a point in here that I want to actually spend a few minutes with you guys on. Because I, I've seen the emails. I've seen the tweets. I've seen the text messages. I've seen the direct messages. I've heard the voicemails. There are a lot of you worried right now. There's a lot of worry in the world. In fact, uh, the data shows out there when it's been surveyed that we are more likely than not at the highest point of global anxiety we have been at uh, in a very long time, if not ever. The Russians invading Ukraine have added to it. Overnight, I saw the reaction of friends and family when the Russians started attacking that nuclear power plant, the whole world seems upside down. There is a lot of anxiety right now. I'm anxious for things, things I don't want to talk about right now on radio. Um, I, fine, personally, just frustrations and other, other aspects of life that you deal with. Um, but I get it. My gosh, do I get it? So can we just stop for a moment, take a time out from all the other news of the day, and just, just talk about this for a minute? Uh, one of the things that this guy says, this man has terminal cancer, and he has a two-year-old son. His father, the writer's father, was diagnosed with Parkinson's when he was six years old and was dead by the time he was 12 years old. He never got to know his dad. He's worried about, will his son get to know him? 
But one of the things he talks about, one of the things that struck me, the thing that drew me in was about a life group. He says with his dad and and um, when people got sick and people died, he says everyone was supportive at first. They brought us food, drove in places, got him in and out of the car, but those visits dried up over time. My dad kept getting sicker and could no longer do the things that had made them friends in the first place. People moved or had kids or got busy at work. Even the Christmas cards stopped coming. By the end, the only people who stopped by the house were nurses and healthcare workers. My dad died when I was 21. Sorry, I said 12. He was incapacitated by 12. There were a bunch of people at his funeral whom I hadn't seen in years. They all told me how sorry they were and asked whether there was anything they could do. All I could think was, I don't know any of you. I I know of you. I've heard your names. I don't know you. The lie that society tells us is that our friends can be our family. That's the premise of TV shows like Friends, Seinfeld, and How I Met Your Mother. We can all leave our hometowns behind and have exciting adventures in the big city with people that we meet, and those people will love us and take care of us and be there for us, but life is more like what happened to the actual actors on Friends. Their TV reunion was the first time all six had been together in years. They still cared about each other to a degree, but they'd grown apart. They were living in different cities, working different jobs, had a million different things happen to them that they didn't share as a group. It couldn't be the same as it was when they were all single and working on the same TV set. Americans tend to put our careers first and move around the country. That's what my parents did. My dad was from Nebraska. My mom was from the Philippines. I grew up in Dallas. That's a long way from their families. Although one of my mom's sisters ended up moving here, my parents tried to form a community where they lived, but they didn't really have one, not one that lasted. My gosh, I bet every single person listening right now can relate to that to some degree. The quest for community that is not your family. In most societies around the world, people live in extended families, and in those extended families, they find their community because it's the people they know. In their extended community, and their extended families, people connect Every single person wants some level of community. Some people, not as much as others. And right now, with all the anxiety right now, people are people are, are going out and doing stuff. Remember after 9-11, those of you who can, churches were filled up with people, just slam-packed with people after 9-11. What on earth is going on? The world looks like it's coming to an end. I need to go get right with God. And people showed up, and a lot of them, Drifted away. COVID did the same thing. People went to church and then COVID hit. People went on lockdown and uh, church attendance is going back up. But a lot of the people who are nominally there are, are definitively not now. But with Ukraine and everything else, people are wondering, what do I do? Where do I go? And, and I bet we're going to start seeing churches fill up again. And in fact, I would say don't give up on the people who fled and never came back. Uh, right now, given what's going on in the world, people want community. But this guy in this article He's got terminal cancer. They don't know when he'll go. He doesn't know. He's still fighting. But a friend of his who was a pastor convinced him to join a life group. And they show up. And they sit in a circle. And they just talk about life. They share their burdens with each other. And he was talking about how 
when COVID and lockdown hit, Zoom was not the same. And it's really not, is it? Zoom Zoom's just not the same. People put the silly backgrounds on Zoom. You, you, you try to see each other, but it's just not the same. It's just not. We all know it's just not. It's not the same for real community, tactile community, where you can actually get a sense of the person. You can smell their bad breath. So I've been thinking about this a lot because I, so I, I went out last night. Uh, there's a guy in town. We've been wanting to try to connect forever for more than a year. And he is, he travels more than me. He's gone all the time. And so we set aside last night and got together. And he's like, I just, I don't do this with people. I'm the same way. I don't do this with people. I've got friends who come over on Sunday nights, a, a very small group of people who come over, occasionally invite people uh, to come hang out with us, uh, but always keep it small because, you know, a lot of people, they isolate themselves in big groups. You don't really have to be real with people when you're surrounded by 20 people, but my gosh, you're surrounded by one or two other people. That's <laughs> when you got to be honest. And I wonder right now, all the people out there who are stressed out, the anxiety about Ukraine and what's going to happen and the Russians and the economy and inflation and jobs. I saw a meme today that, uh, yeah, thanks for getting me to $15 an hour, but now I, I, I my take home is less than it was when it was seven fifty an hour because prices have gone up so much. It's true. I mean, prices have gone up tremendously. I, I'm, I'm smoking a brisket for, for Sunday night. And my gosh, beef prices are still, they're not as high as they were, but they're still high. But I just, I, I, I just want to encourage you. And I'm not a really good encourager if we're honest here, but making yourself, forcing yourself, let's be honest here, we've all got to force ourselves. I don't like to be around people, but you got to force yourself sometime to actually go have human contact with people and develop a relationship with someone where you can bury your soul to that person and they can to you and keep it real and keep it raw and, and, and trust each other in confidence and all that. Cause these are uncertain, uncharted, really stressful times. And people are more anxious and have more anxiety right now than they ever have ever had measurably uh, in, in the time since pollsters have been taking these polls, people are, they think the end of the world is upon us and maybe it is, I don't know. But what I do know is that if you isolate yourself from the people who care about you, beyond your immediate family, you're going to be even more anxious. You're going to be more worried. You're going to be more fretful. And I got to do this, y'all. I, I, I love my job. If I could do a show 24-7 and like only get up to eat and use the bathroom, I would do I love this. At the expense of my family and everything else, I love what I do. I'm so blessed to be able to sit behind a microphone and talk to you guys. And I'm not an extrovert. This is great. It's me and a camera. It's it's my computer. I, I got some text messages flowing in. And otherwise, I don't have to be around people. It's fantastic. And I can shield myself. I can dazzle in a maze. And I never have to really interact with people, unless I answer the phone, which I will. But you got to have that physical contact with people. And I'm just telling you all right now, reading this story, it really struck me how isolating it can be for people and how we, all of us, isolate ourselves. And right now, 
I, I have seen the stress and the text messages and the instant messages and the direct messages and the emails and the voicemails. People think the world is coming to an end. Y'all are stressed out beyond all belief. Uh, anxiety is flowing. And I'll tell you, the easiest way to improve your quality of life and reduce your anxiousness is to go break bread with someone that you know and haven't seen in a while. Just catch up. And I, if I could encourage you to do one thing, think of that one person you've been thinking about them this week. Oh, I hadn't talked to so-and-so in so long. Pick up your phone. Pick up your phone and call them and see if they could get together just to chat. You will do yourself, and I bet that person, a real world of goods. You're thinking of someone right now, me talking about this. You hadn't talked to them in a while. You've been meaning to. And now you've guilted yourself. Oh, it's been so long. Now I can't do it because it's been so long. I wonder why I haven't done it before. I'm going to commercial break. Pick up your phone. Call that person. See how they're doing and try to reconnect. It'll do you mentally a whole lot of good. Be patient with me, please. If you're on the phones, uh, this I went so long. I did bad clock management in the last segment. Um, but I'll get to you as soon as we come out of the break. 877-973-7425. I was looking at text messages. Uh, during commercial break and, and uh, chatting back and forth with a friend of mine on text. And, and you know, what we're talking about is, you know, success. Success is probably the most isolating force on planet Earth. Because if you're working and you're successful and, and your business is growing, that's what you want to do. And what you have to do in order to keep it going is you got to shut out other people so that you think you can keep it going. And now the, the irony here is, is my buddy Mike is, is texting me back that you win yourself the power to isolate yourself as you're getting successful, but also to destroy yourself. And isolation has a lot to do with that as well. I can't tell you the, the number of warnings I got, including from Rush Limbaugh, when I started in radio, that uh, you better surround yourself with people who can tell you no and are comfortable telling you no and will tell you no because of the number of people who will surround you and just become syncophants who they'll tell you what you want to hear and because they want to have a good time and they want to ride your coattails. And I, it's true. And it's not just in, in entertainment and radio and TV and, and movies. It is just in life in general. You start getting successful, the number of people who just want to go along for the ride and, and don't really have your interest at heart. It can be so isolated, so tempted also to isolate yourself from those people because you know what's happening. And you just got to make sure you have a good class of friends. And honestly, the best thing you can do, some of you are going to want to hear it, join a church. I know. You'd be surprised. Uh, the amount of good community on planet Earth uh, that's good for your soul can be found there. Uh, whether you want to go or not, you can find it there. It's time, finally, as promised, to go to the telephones. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Now, fair warning, you, you do have to get through my um, call screener. <laughs> but we'll we'll go loose on the phones today. Margaret, you're going to be up first. Thank you for being patient. Thank you for being patient. Hi. Um I have something to say in regard to uh, energy independence, and I feel if we cannot get President Biden to reinstate our energy independence by reversing his restrictions on what made us independent, the one thing that Americans can do is to reduce their consumption of gas and oil in order that we don't pay President Putin one more dollar, much less millions. Uh, and I think that we can move toward that if we would initiate maybe 
a national campaign or a big promotion that every individual will cut their usage for three to five days by half and see where we're at. And also, we must put on a campaign for the president to reinstate the Keystone Pipeline. It does not make any sense whether you have carbon emission in Russia or wherever else he gets it from or whether we do. It all goes in the air, and people, we're going to need it. So that's what I had to say. Margaret, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely think just by by force of price, people are going to start reducing their amount of gas. I mean, the price of the pump right now is awful, and it really has an impact on uh, the poor and the middle class. And they're going to either have to cut back on gas or they're going to have to cut back in other areas of their life right now because prices are going up so much. And, you know, the the price of gas is, is kind of the, the leading indicator. You're going to start seeing prices of other things go up in response to, I mean, just the shipping costs across the country for a fuel is is going to force prices to come up. You know who's down for banning energy, though, regardless of the costs? Nancy Pelosi. Just that's the reporters mumbling. You can barely hear them. Here comes Pelosi. I mean, Nancy is on board getting rid of Russian oil. Nancy Pelosi is on board banning Russian oil right now. That's pretty remarkable. Uh, but you know, the the, the curveball that the leftists are in, Fareed Zakaria, he's the he's the big picture guy on CNN, the internationalist. I'm not a big fan of his. And, and it's because of, I think, uh, commentary like this that I don't consider very thoughtful. Just listen to Zakaria. He was on CNN last night. The United States today is the world's largest producer of oil and gas in the world. Uh, we could suspend, we could, we could ramp up production. We could suspend sanctions on Venezuela and get Venezuelan oil going. We could suspend sanctions on Iran, get Iranian oil going. We could talk to the Saudis. Uh, you know, I know all of it sounds a little unpalatable, but we are facing an existential crisis. Vladimir Putin is trying to destroy the, the, the world order that was built after 1945, and he is decimating a nation in doing so. The, the battle, we've joined the battle. The only question now is, is the United States and uh, is the civilized world going to win or is Putin going to win? And the, and the best path to, to, to strangle, choke, pressure him is cut off his oil and gas revenues. There is a lot of oil and gas in the world. We can find ways to turn it on, but deny Russia the revenues that come from, de- kill the goose that's laying the golden eggs. Look, he's right in that, but what's the solution? Venezuela and Iran. You know, there's a lot of misinformation about the Keystone XL pipeline, and I I, I want to clear this up for you guys so you all can be smarter than your neighbors when this comes up. The Keystone XL pipeline was not about boosting American oil um, production. It actually was designed, the Keystone XL pipeline's design was to take uh, essentially Canadian oil sands refine the uh, the oil product, flow it down to the Gulf of Mexico and send it to Europe. It wasn't actually about 
putting more oil into the American market. It was about putting Canadian oil into European markets. That's why it was so strategically necessary because it would require and allow the uh, Europeans to get more oil that's not from Russia. It was strategically necessary. So, yes, it is true that the Keystone XL pipeline would not actually increase uh, the amount of available oil for the United States. Now, it could. We could keep it here, but that wasn't the purpose of it. The purpose of it was to get oil out to Europe uh, in a way that didn't make them dependent on on, uh, Moscow. And it's remarkable to me that we're not doing that at a time we need to get the Europeans off Russian dependency. Russian oil imports to the United States account for only about 3% of our oil that we use. It's not a whole lot. We could we could give it up. Biden could give it up without a serious impact on the market. It's not us that's the problem. It is Europe that's the problem and China that's the problem. They're way more dependent on Russian oil than we are, and we don't know that we get the, the, the Chinese to boycott it, but we certainly could try. And this is now a big divide between the White House and Congress. Chris Murphy of Connecticut, who is one of Joe Biden's biggest allies in the Senate, He and Nancy Pelosi are both calling for the White House to impose uh, an embargo on Russian oil. You know, here's Jen Psaki, uh, and I I love this this argument that they always bring up about these pipelines we're building. You you just said that, you know, less supply raises prices. It's not in our strategic interest to reduce the supply. We also know, you know, the president as recently as yesterday talked about increasing domestic manufacturing to bring down prices on uh, inflated items like goods. So why not apply the same logic to energy and increase domestic production here? Well, there are 9,000 approved oil leases that the oil companies are not tapping into currently. So I would ask them that question. Is there nothing that the administration can do to get those providers back to pre-pandemic levels? Do you think the oil companies don't have enough money to drill on the places that have been pre-approved? Just asking. I would I would point that question to them, and we can talk about it more tomorrow when you learn more. Do you think that opening the Keystone pipeline and having more energy-friendly policies might do that? The Keystone pipeline has never been operational. It would take years for that to have any impact. I know a number of members of Congress have suggested that, but that is a proposed solution that has no relationship or would have no impact on what the problem is. We hear all agree is an issue. So during that, those years where it would you know, take to bring down prices, as you're saying, we should just continue to buy Russian oil? Well, again, Jackie, I think you're familiar with a number of steps we've taken, a historic release from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Well, we can, well, let me finish. What we can do over time and what this is all a reminder of in the president's view is our need to reduce our reliance on oil. The Europeans need to do that. We need to do that. If we do more to invest in clean energy, more to invest in other sources of of energy, that's exactly what we can do to prevent this uh, from happening in the future. We welcome any Republicans from joining us in that effort. Go ahead. Don't you love how she wants to pivot and she can't acknowledge and can't admit that uh, our willingness to get out of oil, um, sticky oil situations uh, requires us to import more or to produce more here. Y'all, we can't all get Teslas tomorrow. Let's say in in a hypothetical world, the federal government passes a law that gives every single American $100,000 to buy a great Tesla. There aren't enough of them. There aren't enough battery-powered cars. 
There's this Rivian deal that's being built in Georgia. It's, it's somewhat controversial. Um, David Perdue, it, it, it create like 7,000 jobs and in Georgia producing batteries and electric vehicles and the like. And, and uh, former Senator David Perdue wants to kill it and the 7,000 jobs that would come with it because a, a local group in the area where it's going to be built in an industrial park is – uh, they're opposed to it, even though everyone knew it was always gonna. There was always gonna be a big industrial project built there. They're opposed to it, but it, it, let's say we got that Rivian project online tomorrow. There still would not be enough electric vehicles to roll us all over. You're gonna have to keep your vehicle, even if the federal government gave you the money tomorrow to buy your electric vehicle. You couldn't do it. There aren't enough out there. And forget the supply-demand curve and the hypothetical. The government just gives you the money, whatever it costs, to buy the electric vehicle. There aren't enough of them. We're still going to have to use oil and gas. We still have to. We still use natural gas to power the planet. And by the way, the Wall Street Journal reporting right now, President Biden's climate change plan, particularly enhanced tax incentives for renewable energy, is alive in Congress. Democrats will soon try to reconstruct legislation from the ashes of the roughly $2 trillion Build Back Better bill passed in the House in November but collapsed in the Senate. The climate-focused tax incentives worth more than $300 billion over a decade enjoy broad consensus among Democrats, including Joe Manchin. They're going to double down on the Green New Deal instead of actually solving the current problem, which is we need more oil and not from Russia. Back to the phones we go, 877-973-7425 is the number. Leslie, you're going to be up next. How are you? I'm good. How are you? This is Great. Wesley Smith. Uh, I um, I just wanted to thank you for that message uh, about calling people that uh, you wanted to make things right with or, or, or that you just needed to, to get back in contact with or, or whatever it was. Um, I lost my grandpa in uh, April of last year. And um, we were fairly close before he moved out of California, and he lived out there for a number of years. And oh. I had to call my grandma and a, and a family friend. I just wanted to thank you for that message. Yeah, listen, and first of all, it's my call screener. He screwed up your name. It's not my fault, I promise. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, I know, yeah, I know. Yeah, you know, uh, look, I, I just, I, I, I'm bad about this myself, the number of people I lose contact with. And I can tell you, I don't know that anyone is like me, but I get to the point, it's like, oh, well, it's been so long, now I can't call them because then they're going to want to know why didn't I call them sooner? So I better not call them now. And it's the, 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 <laughs> the mental guilt you have for that. And sometimes you just got to. I, I'm really concerned about people right now in this country who we're all living isolated existences and our Facebook friends really aren't a substitute for actual real friends and uh, people need to to hang out with their friends. Listen, thank you very much for the phone call. I appreciate it very much, Wesley. Uh, I just, it's social media too. My goodness gracious, it just makes it easy to isolate ourselves. Well, I just like, for example, I know so I'm going to leave out details here so I don't cause myself a problem. I know someone who was telling me about their friend in Ukraine who is stuck in Kharkiv telling me about the situation. And they don't really know the person. Follow him on Instagram and and 
refers to him as a friend. They, they've never met. They don't really know each other. They don't interact. And this story is, is I mean, it's your Facebook friends are the same thing. The people you interact with on Snapchat or TikTok or whatever, and you, you, you see a revealed curated portion of their life. That's kind of why I like to show people all the messy stuff in my life and the, the food that I mess up and stuff. Cause, cause I don't want it curated. I mean, life is messy. I should be, y'all should see my desk. Good gracious. But it's so easy to substitute your digital friendships for real ones. And the digital ones aren't going to come take care of you when you're sick. They're not going to water your plants when you're out of town. You just got to pick up the phone and, and, force yourself sometimes to re-engage and you know can i let me just be a, a moment of honesty with you because um i know i'm going to get lit up by certain friends of mine oh and this y'all this one's personal and and don't read your life into this please it's me it's by virtue of doing a radio show heard now across the country i try to be personable and, and be friends with people and i've got friends and i think i've reached my limit of being able to be friends with people. Like if I add someone new, I got to take someone out because I just can't keep in touch with the number of people anymore. And I feel really, really guilty about it because I, I try to share my phone number with listeners when I get to know them and, and interact with them and all that. And I just, I'm beside, and I feel like carry a lot of guilt around that. I can't respond to every text message that I get and I can't respond to every email and I can't go see the people I want to see. And I've got a list of people I need to go. I need to travel and see this person. But if I do, I'm taking time away from my family. Uh, and I feel really guilty about it. I really do. And I beat myself up about it. And I know I shouldn't. And I don't know that they understand as well that it's not just them. Um, there are a ton of people. And it just I've kind of reached my extent. And yet that makes me want to just not do it with anybody. And so I got to force myself still to go see friends of mine, force myself to interact with people. But I know there are some people who they can be friends with everybody, but I don't know how deep and meaningful the friendships are. And I'm just, I'm kind of like occasionally, like right now, just so overwhelmed with other stuff. Like I really don't have time. Please don't be mad at me. I can't call you. I do not have the bandwidth to interact with you and also be, be a good husband and father, and that's got to come first. But I also know I can't use that as an excuse to avoid engaging with other people. It's a very difficult thing. Let, let's just be real here. Uh, it can be a very difficult thing, but you do. Don't isolate yourself. Sometimes you got to force yourself. Sometimes you you, you got to have that burden. Now, I got to tell you guys about Patriot Mobile because they're one of those great conservative Christian companies. And in fact, you know, um, the, the, the guy who founded it is one of those friends who, man, I need to reach out and I hadn't talked to him in a while. He's been in poor health. I reached out then, but need to check on him. Just good people. They really are. They're a great company. And you get good cell phone service from them. They use the same towers everybody else uses. So you go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You can roll over to them. They take a portion of their profits, and they fund the conservative movement, the pro-life cause, veterans, first responders, the Second Amendment, uh, there's such good people committed to the conservative cause and conservative candidates and the like. You get free activation with my name. You can call them if you want to do it there instead of on the internet, 972-PATRIOT. They've got hundred percent U.S.-based customer service. But just if you're looking for a cell phone company, if you're tired of, if you feel like I don't want to keep giving my money to these fortune 500 companies that have gone woke, uh, Patriot Mobile is a great option for you. You get good discounts, your veteran, first responder, teacher, you name it, patriotmobile.com slash Eric.
Phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, um, the Interior Department is issuing fewer oil drilling permits because of climate. The Bureau of Land Management finished 2021 having approved more onshore oil and gas permits than under the Trump administration a year earlier, but slashed monthly permitting amid what the industry says is a bureau pivot towards climate. Industry leaders and analysts say the Bureau appears to be forging ahead with a climate agenda uh, tied to the United Nations International Climate Conference. So they've approved uh, drilling, but month to month they're slashing the amount, um, which is making it harder to extract oil out of American ground. Ron, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program. I got less than a minute. Hey, Eric. Uh, thank you so much, man. I, I don't always agree with you, but I so appreciate your um, willingness to explain things to people. And I'm trying to understand this new talking point that the Democrats have. Jen Psaki keeps pointing, putting out different numbers, 3,000 land leases, 7,000. Why do we have these oil land leases available and the oil companies are not drilling, um, according to Jen uh, That's a great question. I actually do legitimately know the answer. Um, the Biden administration has put so many regulatory hurdles on them to be able to use the leases that it's not uh, it's not cost productive for them to do it. They would actually lose money uh, with each lease to comply with the new regulations imposed by the Biden administration. Uh, and so they can't actually do it. They, they have a bunch of leases outstanding and they've canceled them uh, because the uh, drillers weren't using them and the drillers weren't using them because it would cost more to do regulatory compliance than the projections for what they could get per hole. I mean, they completely threw the economies of scale out of whack with their regulations. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. You got the economy. You got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building, you want to build a building, reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can. So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. Firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.